welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things substrates, polka dots, and Web3. Today on Relay Chain, we have Alon Brenzikoffer from Encointer and Supercomputing Systems. Can you give yourself an introduction, Alan? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, I'm department head of decentralized systems at Supercomputing Systems, where we focus on, let's say, blockchain, especially in the energy sector, but not only. And I'm also the founder of Encointer.org. And um, yeah. I'm happy to talk about these two <laughs> activities today. So can you give like a brief introduction to Encointer? Because you just put out like a, a really quick demo online. Yeah, okay. So the goal, the goal of Encointer is to give a basic income in cryptocurrency to all humans. By doing that, also giving them a digital ID. So we need we actually need both. The project um, actually came came up uh, because I wasn't very happy with what I saw in the in in the in this field. It was always like um, some early adopter bonus and and uh, deflationary monetary system and all. Where where I just realized that um, it's not it's it's not how how I would imagine a um, revolutionary monetary system. Uh, because well, if at least not if you have a, a more social goal. And on the on the technical side, I wasn't I wasn't very happy with uh, well, especially proof of work and and its wastefulness uh, with with energy. So I, I kind of looked looked at everything that was there and and how I thought it could be done differently. And and that's now that's now in Cointer. So yeah, that's that's the basic idea. And if, if, if we want to give a basic income to every human, there's, um, there's a few problems we need to solve um, at, at first. And one is we only want to give the, this income to humans. And we also want to be sure that every human gets the income exactly once and not several times. When, when I thought about this problem, I, I was like chatting on forums and, and nothing really convinced me until one day um, there was this idea of a, a, a person can only be in one place at one time. And why not leverage this to, to make sure uh, a person can, can only get one ID? And that's, that's how this whole ceremony idea came up. Um, where at the same time all over the world, or at least per time zone, people would meet in, in randomized groups of, let's say, three to 12 people and attest each other's personhood. So they just meet and you know, uh, if, if, if you have a human opposite, you, you always know it's a human, so you can, you can attest that. You, you don't need to know the name or, or whatever. You don't, you don't need to know anything about this person, but you can be sure it's a person. And, and these, these key signing parties were, were at the core of the idea of, of Encointer. Yeah, so like there's a lot of pieces there. There's like the identity, the universal basic income, the blockchain part. Just to go 
back to the universal basic income as kind of like a response to the sort of like VC model of cryptocurrency where the early adopters get a huge percentage. What was your motivation there? And like, how do you model universal basic income differently, like so that the people who join later can still get fair benefits? Okay, okay. So, so the way the basic income works is you have these ceremonies every 41 days. Well, this number is uh, completely arbitrary, but it's just something, uh, an odd number, so that it's not always the same day of the month or something like that, or, or the same day of the week. So at every ceremony, you have the chance to participate. And if you participate, then you get money issued on your account in return. So let's, for, for simplicity, say it's, it's one encounter that you get for every, for every ceremony. Now, the token design w w with this rule is actually that it's, it's inflationary, and it's inflationary to the rate of adoption of, of encounter, because if you have more people joining, then more money will be issued. So this way, we can make sure that you can that there is no there's there's no bonus for for the first ones who are there because you you always uh, get one coin and there's no reason uh, because the, the money supply is not capped. It's it's uh, scarce in the sense of you, you know the rules of of money supply, but the monetary base only only grows with adoption. Well, on one hand, that's a kind of a stupid idea because it, it won't make me, me rich. <laughs> um, but that's kind of by design. Um, and the question there is how, how will this currency gain value, of course, because it is, it is very inflationary in, in the sense of nominal, um, because every month there, there will be a new, new issuance. But that inflation is actually linear. Uh, so if, if the population of users stays the same, then you have a linear inflation and the relative inflation rate will go down over time. Yeah, so it has value in the sense that you know there's an actual human being that can account for it. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if that's enough to give, to give this currency value, or well, most probably it's not. I think the value will come from its usefulness because... Um, well, other other cryptocurrencies now. There, there, there is one thing which is special about Encounter is is that I'm not intending to have uh, like transaction base fees. I, I want to have proportional fees. That means there is no issue with micropayments like in in developing countries, for example. Because if you look at the, at the transaction fees of Bitcoin and Ether as well, um, the transaction fees can be as high as, as a day's income or, or, or even worse. So I think the usefulness of Encounter for these places could just be to have digital cash, which is a lot more usable than than the cash issued issued by these um, by these countries because if you if you are in a very rural place uh, in a in a developing country usually you you have a hard time buying some little stuff because you you come there with like big bills as a, as a tourist for example <laughs> that's that's what what I experienced and then they have to run across the whole place uh, to find change. So, so there's a real practical value of, of having uh, digital cash. Um, 
and and a lot of these people have have phones and soon soon will have smartphones i guess um so that's a very convenient way to have money before going like deeper into like the local currency stuff how does an actual encounter ceremony work what do you do it it all starts with registering so you 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 download an app uh, right now there's only an android app <laughs> And then you register on-chain in, in, in advance, so a few days or, well, at least 24 hours in advance. And with your registration, you say where you are and how far you are willing to travel for, a, for the next ceremony. And then an algorithm will take all these uh, registrations and, and arrange these randomized groups, these meetups, when when the meetups are assigned, then that algorithm all also tells you where the intersection of the of all the acceptable regions are from the participants, and then the participants have to decide where exactly they are going to meet. Because that's not up to the algorithm to do, because it it could suggest some private property or whatever. I mean, or or, or in the middle of the lake, or I don't know, because the algorithm is not aware of of, of the geography. So the participants agree agree on a place which is within a certain uh, tolerance um, of of, uh, of what the al- algorithm says, and then on that day at high sun, and and it, y- you need to be very very punctual. Um, you meet, and then you, you come with with your mobile phone. The phones discover each other, and you. You have to enter how many people attend the meetup because that's that's the first human human uh, trust factor that that we have in there that you you see how many humans are present because we don't want one person to bring two phones and have both attested and then just pairwise you you sign each other's keys and then you go back uh, and the next time you have internet connection. Um, you can you can upload all these uh, endorsements or, or key key signatures from all the participants, and when the whole ceremony is over, there's that algorithm again or another algorithm that checks if all these rules are for fulfilled, and all the participants who who participated in a in a legit uh, meetup they will get their rewards. Yeah, and so these rewards um, we talked about this before doing the podcast, but like it allows you to have local currencies. Also, like in addition to Encointer, you can create your own um, for a region. Um, can yes. you just talk about that? Yeah. Well, as far as I know, it's a novelty in the, in the cryptocurrency space to have the possibility to have currencies which, which have a, a, a geographical route, which we call seed. So, so if, if you meet somewhere, you have quite a good proof where where this meetup took place. Because at least you have all these participants with their GPS information on, on where it took place. And it's not so easy to spoof because it's, it's, it has been predetermined where about the meeting has to take place. Now, if, if you bootstrap the first meetup in your region, then your meetup location is the seed of, of that newly created currency and all the meetups that will that will take place later in the vicinity will have the same seed. 
so whenever whenever you have like uh, an, an overlap of tolerance regions of the participants, it will they will all belong to the same seed. Now, of course, that only gives you an information about where the money was minted. So you can, of course, spend this money globally. No, there's no way to to prevent that. But that's that's actually fine. It's the the only problem that I'm. To be honest, uh, haven't haven't solved completely. Is uh, now we have all these local currencies, and what should be the best rules if regions converge? So if uh, if you have two two cities who who start uh, on their own, and then and then suddenly uh, they grow together. Or, or people move from one place to the other. Of course, the the rule set, the best rule set, is not yet uh, written on on how to find because s- somehow you need to discover the price, uh, or, or well, there needs to be a market. But when when two regions grow together, probably there will be one seed which will which will win. Which will which will take over the other, but then what what do you do with all the money that has been uh, minted before? And I mean, there is a rule set. We did simulations on what happens in that case, but um, I think there's a lot of work to be done there still. I mean, wouldn't you start to get price stability just from like arbitrages that would actually travel across these regions before the regions started to come together in a bigger sense? If if I get you right, I mean. <laughs> We we could enforce the rule that you cannot bootstrap from the beginning, so that that kind of encounter has to grow by people traveling and and kind of bringing the message. <laughs> um, but well, I, I think that will be very slow adoption, and I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, the the whole trust will improve with people traveling, because if people travel, they they kind of. Can go verify if if the other region uh, complies with the rules, and uh, so so that's actually very desired. So maybe I'm like not understanding it, but like after you get issued the currency at one of the ceremonies, you can still transfer it after, right? Yes. Yeah. So like, couldn't you go to a ceremony and then you know drive to Geneva and sell it there? And then so you have like a oh you could a market oh yeah you but could. people could go the other way too of course of yeah. course you could so like, you don't even need to travel because you can yeah yeah I mean, of course you, you can have exchanges <laughs> online maybe people want the physical money I don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're gonna start to like transition a little bit to SCS mm-hmm. um, unless there's more you want to cover on Encointer of course there's more I want to cover oh well, <laughs> no, go no, ahead. No, no 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 it's fine um, so. Um, you're developing a SCS a solution for trusted execution environment. How are those important for Encointer? Well, if if we have a digital identity by means of these ceremonies, then I want to be sure that people don't identify themselves if they attend to a meetup or if they spend their money later. So, anonymity is is a very important uh, factor. Especially for encounter, because you're linking your 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 present your physical presence uh, to to the money that is that is minted. So so there's additional risk uh, factors to this um, than for norm- uh, normally for cryptocurrencies, um, and even worse because 
in order to be sure that a person only maintains one identity, and and Cointer has has kind of a, a rating system on on the identity. So if you if from the last uh, three ceremonies you attended to three of them, then everyone can be sure that you don't maintain two identities like uh, alternating at each of these uh, ceremonies. So your identity gets stronger and stronger the more the more you participate and, and there is more profiling that can be done on you uh, during that time. So By just, using the just, same address? Yes. Well, you're not using uh, the same address because um, for, for Encointer you can, you can use a, a different key pair for, for each ceremony where you attend. And then you can just later um, link link these if if you need. Yeah, I like certificates. Yeah. So we we have a need for privacy also also for for spending um, the coins. So that's that's how this whole trusted execution uh, idea came in, because I I looked into like zero knowledge proofs like Zcash does it or, or uh, ring signatures and and uh, like like Monero, um, and they all come at at the price and well uh, what we approach comes at the price as well. Um, the price that we pay is we we trust a hardware manufacturer to do the right uh, to do what 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 is kind of written in the data sheet so to say so in in our case that's uh, intel sgx and intel can attest that a a software is indeed running in a trusted execution environment and um, well maybe maybe i should introduce what what trusted execution environments are because i think it's not it's not yet uh, common knowledge yeah, I think we could probably do like a whole episode just on yep, that. Pr- um. Probably, but <laughs> well, I, I'll try to do it in very simple terms. We are very used to the fact that whoever is administrator on a, a machine has full access to all the data in memory, on the disk, um, wherever, and can change this data and can can change what programs are running. And if we have cloud systems for example which we trust then we then we still trust the administrators of these cloud systems because they have full access as well now what trusted execution environments do is they isolate certain processes in an in an enclave which has its its kind of private memory which is encrypted, so from from the operating system side, it's it's uh, opaque. You, you don't you don't see what is what is uh, done in there, and and that's ensured by by hardware. And now that means you can you can do confidential processing in this enclave, and you also have a guarantee of integrity because that that hardware also tells you what the, what what the hash is of the binary which is running in in this enclave so you can check you can cross check with with let's say an open source repository which can be built in a deterministic way so you can you can you can check that the, the hash of the binary indeed in the end is the same which is running uh, on the enclave and now the missing bit is the the remote attestation because 
I could, if, if I'm a cloud provider, um, I could just tell you, yeah, I'm, I'm running SGX. Believe me, uh, I, I can't see uh, what you're doing. Um, but that's not very convincing. So what, what Intel does is they have this uh, attestation service that you, you, can, you can challenge an, uh, an enclave and get, get a report from, from a quote from the enclave which you can send to Intel and they attest with their signature that uh, the hardware is genuine and they attest the hash of the binary which is running in that enclave. And now if this enclave can maintain its, its own key pairs, then you can talk to this enclave and be sure that the administrator of, of the machine cannot change anything or see anything. Yeah, it's like the way I understand this, and you should correct me where I go wrong, but like even if you're keeping all of your information on disk encrypted, which you should, when you bring it into memory, you're going to decrypt it. And so you have decrypted information in memory and the operating system, so other programs shouldn't have access to this, but the operating system does. Yes, so exactly. The person who controls exactly. the operating system can get access to the information in memory. And this is just getting passed over the bus into the CPU. And in SGX, you're actually just copying encrypted information into memory and then sending this encrypted information to the SGX, and it's being decrypted in the actual processor, operated on, re-encrypted, and sent back to memory. Absolutely. I mean, it's not only the administrator which we don't trust, because if an administrator has access, then all the malware which can get administer uh, privilege, uh, privilege uh, can do the same. So that that's the actual or probably the bigger threat. Even. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then the question comes like, why should we trust Intel with the attestation? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a very valid question. And I mean, we, we have to trust the manufacturer, but at least we should have transparency on, on the hardware design. And that's what Intel doesn't offer. So we actually not only trust Intel that they give correct attestations, but we also trust them with like their, their um, hidden design, which they don't open for, for, for like scientific auditing. So the, the the second problem is something where where I hope we will we will see different solutions in the future. Like for example, Keystone, which is an open source um, T design, which doesn't exist in hardware uh, as of yet. Uh, I'm, I don't know exactly where they are, um, but I hope that initiatives like like this will sprout and and also give us remote attestation. Yeah, I mean we're already trusting Intel a lot. Right, like no SGX or SGX. So um. I mean, uh, it's the same same with zero knowledge proofs. I mean, if you compute zero knowledge proofs on an Intel CPU, you you already trust Intel, right? Uh, because if there's a backdoor, there's a backdoor, and uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if we just take it for granted that we trust Intel here, um, and that TEs provide an advantage in privacy um, or confidentiality, so can you talk about substrate TE and yes. what that yes. is? So now, now that we have T's um, as a tool, how, how can we apply this to, um, to blockchain? There are, there are different ways how, how, how you could do that. You could run your entire node inside a T, or you could use the T just as a, as a wallet, for example, so as a, as a key store. The way we thought it, 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 is, it is, uh, ma- makes the most sense um, 
is to use the T as a trusted off-chain computer. So what we do is we take a smart contract or a business logic off the chain and put this code into a T. And then we just make sure uh, the whole chain of trust is um, ensured. So how this works is you you may have a machine which uh, features SGX and you want to be a Substrate worker. What you do is you register on the Substrate chain and you supply an attestation from Intel. So if you do so, you need to get a license with Intel, uh, but at least the users don't have to. So only the ones who run the worker have to. Then the, the chain, the Substrate chain, can verify the attestation by Intel. And if you qualify, then you are registered with, with your signing key. And... Then from then on, you have a public register of, of, of a worker and a user can come and say, okay, I want to I wanna perform this task on, on, on that worker and can then ask the worker for its shielding key. And well, now, the, the <laughs> now it gets uh, a little tricky. So because we want to send requests to the chain, so we do indirect invocations in order to order transactions. So if, if you want to call some some smart contract, you write the call and you encrypt it with a shielding key because we don't want anyone else to know what the call is about. You send that encrypted call to the chain, to the substrate chain, which then forwards it to all the workers. The workers can then decrypt the request because they own the, the shielding key. And then they process whatever state transition function you have defined previously. Then once the request has been processed, the worker writes a, a receipt back to the chain, which says the, the request with hash such and such has been um, processed. Um, and that's written back to the chain. So everyone who needs to know can look up in the chain um, if, if the request has, has been processed. Yeah, so it's like the entire state encrypted? Yes. So the, the state is entirely off-chain. So it, it has nothing to do with on-chain state. It's, it's a completely different state. This, the state, of course, is encrypted. And the encryption key is something that all the workers need to share. Because if you, if you join the set of workers at a later state... Um, how how would you would you bootstrap unless you have this descript, uh, decryption key? So the way we envisioned this is, um, or we implemented it actually, is the first worker in initializes the state and just creates a new a new encryption key for the, for that state. It then shares that encrypted state over IPFS, and if another worker joins the set. That worker will ask the first one for all for for like giving giving him all all the keys uh, needed, and there is a protocol to, to that, of course, to to ensure that um, it's actually legit uh, SGX enclaves talking to each other, and that's called uh, uh, mutual remote attestation. So the two workers have to attest to each other that they are genuine. Um, 
STX enclaves. And if that succeeded, then the first worker can send the encryption keys to the new worker. The new worker can get the encrypted state, the last, the, the most recent version from, from IPFS. And the way this works is with every receipt a worker writes on-chain, you also send the IPFS hash uh, of the latest state. So this way you can always be sure that everyone is working on, on the same state. Yeah, so how often do you get these attestations from Intel? Is it like every block or is it just once when you join? No. Well, the, actually you could, you could just... Uh, require this when you sign up, but then then there's a problem if there's, I mean, there are always over time security vulnerabilities uh, in in SGX which which are discovered. Some of them more severe, some some of them less severe. But what what Intel does with remote attestation, they also check if you have the latest patch applied. So that means we should actually require regular remote attestation for the registry just to make sure that people apply the latest security patches from, from Intel. Yeah, okay. I was wondering because if it was like every block and you have a thousand workers or no, something, no, no. then it's like it slows it down because everybody's trying to request. Of, of, of course. No, no, no. I, I, well, I, I think once once per day should be fine. But, okay. I mean, yeah. So it's not... Like a, it's not on the critical path to every block or anything like that. No, 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 no. It's not, not okay. at all. No, no. Um, if we and, like, and, I mean, if it would be, that would be <laughs> like uh, absolutely fatal because that would mean Intel could shut shut down the system. Yeah, right. By just rejecting uh, attestations, and that's why I think the the combination of blockchain and trusted execution is actually a, a very a very uh, good synergy because. If Intel rejects to to attest someone because they they always know who is asking for 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 an attestation, and they they could just ban you, but if we have a blockchain, then at least we have uh, a remote attestation. Maybe not a very recent one, but we, we are not. We can continue working with the system with let's say reasonable trust for a while, even if Intel bans uh, that that worker. Yeah. Enough to get a new worker or something. That w probably wouldn't help because if you wanna if you wanna run the thing in production mode, then you need a commercial license with Intel, and you can only get that as a legal entity. And uh, so, so it's kind of I would say low entry, but still there's some paperwork to do. So you you cannot just come up with a new worker and be a new identity okay. for Intel. That that doesn't work. Sure. Um, so yeah, if we like back up onto like the just blockchain and SGX thing more in general. Like you mentioned in one of your presentations that this helps solve confidentiality, scalability, and interoperability. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you talk about like the target user base and like who would be using this and then how okay. this helps? Yeah, yeah. Maybe first, so far we only talked about, about confidentiality. So I think that is interesting for enterprise use cases which have to comply with GDPR or which don't want to share their company secrets, processes, data, whatever. Of course, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I cannot uh, guarantee that with Substrate you, you absolutely comply with GDPR. But I mean, what we give you is that you store no personal information on chain. So 
you can do things like to, to, you can implement a right for to to erasure uh, within your enclave. So so that's kind of the target. Apart from Encointer, I think it will be businesses who who have to comply with with GDPR and and, and such, uh, which which will be interested in in this solution. But then there's also scalability, and that's that's work to be done in the future because, as I said before, we have indirect invocation right now. So you always have to send your request to the blockchain, which will then forward the request to the worker, which will then, in return. Uh, write a receipt to the chain. So that's not a very uh, efficient way to do it because you need several several on-chain transactions for just one request. The way we could also do it is by direct invocation. So that means that we only use the blockchain as a registry for workers. And then you can talk to the workers directly. However, the, the problem that we need to solve there is the ordering of, of transactions. So there is a, a, little, a little bit of uh, centralization there because we need, we need to, well, I, either we have an entire consensus system there and then, and then we can go to the blockchain in, for, in the first place or we just sacrifice a little bit of uh, decentralization by by just saying we have a some some somehow round robin rule for for the workers to process requests and then you just talk directly to these workers yeah so you do you see like a substrate te chain being run as like a generalized chain or like everybody can put their application on it, or would you see more like you have an application that wants to use this and so you would integrate as this um, substrate te um, off-chain worker part into your own chain I think Substrate sub, sub will, will more be just a, a platform or a tool that people, projects can use to build on. I don't think there will be kind of the, the public Substrate chain where all the enclaves register. I think it's, it makes a lot more sense that you, that you do that per use case. Yeah. Because anyway, with Polkadot, you have the root, the root of trust of, of the relay chain. So there is no point in focusing on a single substrate chain because that would just uh, limit scalability. Yeah. So it's a tool that you can integrate into other chains. Of course. Well. I mean, yeah. it, basically, it's just one custom module to, to a substrate chain. Oh, okay. Yeah. With, well, we don't need to, to, to go into the, to the very details. We, we, we needed to, to patch some things in, in, in Substrate to get the host calls in order, to, in order to verify the Intel attestations because that's not something which is already uh, supported by, by all these libraries. Right. But, I mean, we're, Substrate is getting more and more generic and I think in, in a few weeks or months uh, it will be a, a plain Substrate with, with just custom modules. Yeah, it's really getting close to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned like in um, the same presentation this trade-off between integrity and confidentiality that like as the number of nodes goes up, the confidentiality decreases because there's a risk of somebody leaking the keys. Yeah. Um, but the integrity goes up because of what yeah. most people in blockchain already know that yeah. you have more copies. Um, like, how do you look at that trade-off? Well, in in the end, what we would like to to have is a diversification of T's. So, but that that 
is more a mitigation for integrity. If, if we have different technologies all running the same state transition function, then the integrity is improved because if one of the T implementations is flawed, then it will be outvoted by, by the other ones. However, this is actually even worse for, for confidentiality because you have three in implementations and you only need one of them to have a vulnerability in order to leak the state. So I think in the end, it's up to the, the very use case to decide if you, if you want to focus on just one technology of these or if you want to diversify. Or um, I think that's, that's not a decision for us to take. We can just provide the tool that lets you like move move your focus in 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 that uh, in that regard yeah but that fits into like the modularization of substrate and that like you can if substrate te is like a module that you can just plug in then you get those options and like that's the goal that's yeah. the goal it should be just kind of something you can plug in and uh and that's also, I mean, uh, even uh, for, for Substrate, there's now these, uh, these ink, ink smart contracts. And we did a, a little proof of, of concept and we could very well run these ink, contra uh, ink contracts in our enclave. So actually the decision by, by a project can be, well, okay, let's start uh, with, with like usual ink contracts. And then once we're, we're done, we think they, they work how they should, then we can just instantiate that contract in Substrate T and um, you get uh, can kind of plug in, plug in confidentiality. What changes like in the, at the coding level when you're programming for SGX uh, or TEE because like most people when they're programming they're not really thinking of like what's the processor actually doing yeah. um, like how do you have to change your paradigm in order to do that well of, of course it's it's a bit more challenging in the sense of you, you need to be very aware of what you're doing and what can happen if if uh, a program panics or if if like uh, something unforeseen happens but basically with the we are building on the on the uh, rust sgx sdk uh, which is an apache project by now which gives you the environment to just basically write rust code and it, it should more or less run in in the enclave the difficult thing there is that you have no no standard library at your disposal or at least not the standard library so there's a replacement for that by by that SDK so not all the rust libraries will just work out of the box okay so that's kind of i, I think that's what we what we wasted most time on <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the process replacing the standard library yeah, stuff yeah. Yeah. and and kind of upstream pull requests and um, yeah okay so like what's the current state of substrate te and then like what's next on your roadmap uh, the current state is we have an implementation of private token transactions so we we instantiated the very standard balances module from substrate inside inside substrate t and we have an example which you can try out uh, in a in a docker container you can you can just try it out yourself even if you don't have a, an sgx uh, hardware you can just do uh, run it in software mode and this example just shows how you could have a confidential 
ledger with balances that you can transfer at will uh, from, from one account to the other. The next step will be that to link on-chain state with off-chain state. Because right now, with what we have now, you, you have no possibility to have a trusted read of on-chain state. You could, of course, have some, some call out of the enclave, some RPC call to just uh, query uh, the state, but you have, you have no, no guarantee whatsoever um, if, if you are told the truth. And the next step is to, to verify inclusion proofs, to, to have read proofs. Um, Substrate has already implemented all of this uh, in, their, in their light client. And all we have to do is actually instantiate that light client inside an enclave and just do queries as if as if an entire light client would, would be running in, in the enclave. And then we have trusted access to chain state and to uh, like, like, um, inclusion proofs and yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to add to Substrate TE or Encointer? Um, no, I think we covered we covered the most important things. All right, where should people go look up to get more information? Of course, uh, well, it's all on GitHub. Um, you can go to encounter.org. There's a few blogs on how how we envision like the the whole economy to work. How we envision this to change the way development aid could could be applied, and what it does to like the whole digital identity sphere so i think that's a good a good place to go and substrate you you can just find that on github and play with the docker demos and uh, we're always open for feedback all right great we'll put some links in the uh in the notes thanks for coming on alan thanks for having me Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter. Thank you.